0: I, it's kind of funny, I think, how I, you know, you asked me in, the, in your first email, like, how I came across your stuff. Yeah. And it was it was kind of funny to me that, um, in a sense, you're an unusual guest in the sense that I initially was looking for something else. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> um,
0: like, often it's a paper that I read for a specific reason because it's about my own research, like, it relates to my own research and I want to know something from it. And here I was looking for something and I thought, maybe this is relevant. And I thought, no, nah, not really. I just continued reading because I thought it was interesting. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, and in a in a roundabout way, it is actually kind of relevant again. Um, it's just somehow I expected something slightly, or I was hoping for something slightly different because I was looking for something very specific. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. I'm um, actually curious now. Is the so you know I, I mentioned that. The the two papers on morality of war
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, was what I was interested in. Is that actually something? I think I want to talk about the government stuff later. Yeah, that's but fine. just for now, is that actually something that is also relevant to your work now, or is that kind of something you've done and left behind you?
1: Uh, it's not at all relevant to my work now. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> I uh, completely switched tracks when I got this government job. So um, because the academic pipeline is quite uh, long. I am still working on some papers related to war, but that's again like just in my spare time. Um, yeah, not related to my job.
0: Because I was cu- uh, I was curious then why, what exactly Australia's planning?
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. If, um, if <laughs> How do I hire, end up in it,
1: government when? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when my research interests are uh, morality and war. Um, yeah,
0: it's like Australians trying to figure out what they can get away with. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awful. No, no, I think um, the, the reason I was a good fit for the, my current role has to do more with the skills that you pick up during okay, a yeah. social psych PhD. So, data analysis, uh, just the general literature on social psychology more broadly. Um, and then also, I guess, um, uh, I've been told that, that my application stood out because I mentioned open science And uh, like pre-registration and um, yeah, like using preprints, open access, those kind of things, which is something that uh, Beta does as well.
0: Uh, So, what does Beta stand for again? Oh yeah,
1: (laughs) sorry, Uh, it stands for the Behavioural Economics Team of the Australian Government. So there's no G. It it's a slightly weird acronym. Yeah, it's not Beta. No, (laughs) Beta sounds much better. Yeah, it does. Yeah, so we publish all our – we pre-register all our trials and we publish uh, by default. So, often we can only publish a project like after it's well and truly wrapped up. But at some point, it makes its way onto our website. So, all our projects that are completed, you can read about at Behaviouraleconomics.gov.au. Okay. So,
0: <laughs> I said I wanted to talk about this later, but I think now we're in it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's We'll true. talk about the, yeah. about the wall stuff then later. Yeah. Uh, so w- – Yes, as I mentioned, like, I have no idea what kind of work you would be doing. And one of my questions was whether you actually still plan on publishing things or not. And mm. um, So, can you just kind of talk about how, maybe just how your work now relates, maybe on a practical like day-to-day level, like what you do, how that relates to kind of what I assumed before was kind of standard academic research?
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um... Well, I guess have you heard of like behavioral economics, behavioral insights, nudge units?
0: Uh, yeah. So, I mean, nudge units. So let's see. So, I've I think actually once, like ages ago, read the nudge book. Nudge, yeah. And but I'm not sure whether I have read it. So, uh, but I think that's about as um, we say, depending on how you frame questions and make options available to people, they behave differently. And are, so I think the idea is to basically make people adopt things that are good for them without forcing them to
1: yes yeah it's kind of marrying yeah the marrying just the idea that like it's good for people to be able to choose like uh, whatever they want whatever option they want the classic example in nudge is of a canteen wanting to have like sweets available and chips but also apples and bananas or whatever because they want to give people the choice. But at the same time, they have the canteen has to decide how to like present those choices, and they can make those decisions in a way that kind of helps people choose um, the apples and the and the bananas in this example <laughs> uh, on the assumption that most people, if they were kind of reflecting on what they would want to want for themselves, it would be to choose the healthy option um, so uh, behavioral bit like nudge units or behavioral insights units have kind of come into government to try and help um, policymakers think about the way that they present choices to the public. It's like there's no neutral way to kind of give people options. You have to pick one, and so you should um, try and pick ones that will do people. Like, you know, the most people, the most amount of good. But also, um, you should evaluate and find out, well, if we do it this way, what effect does that have? And if we do it that way, what effect does that have? Rather than relying on the assumptions from sort of classical economic models. So that's at the broad level what we do.
0: (laughs) I mean, like one example that came to mind for me with nudging is that of organ donations. Oh, yeah. I think Mm -hmm. the example they used was something like I don't know whether it was Germany and or Austria, or, but like two countries that are culturally very similar have completely different uh, organ donation rates mm-hmm. because one of them has an opt-in and the other has an opt-out. Um, and that, yeah, because people are lazy basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In yeah. one in one case, like in the opt-in where you have to make an effort to be an organ donor, something like 20% of people or whatever are organ donors, and in the other case where you have to opt out if you don't want to be one, something like 70% of people are organ donors. Like yeah, that.
1: exactly. So those are those are the kind of things. Um, as another example, that's pretty well publicised. One of Beta's early sort of high profile projects had to do with um, anti-microbial uh, resistance. So doctors over-prescribing antibiotics and, and building resistance um, uh, to those antibiotics. And so the project was to try and um, the government was going to write a letter to doctors in Australia to say, like, oh, by the way, this might not be a good thing. You should think about, you should think about, like, maybe uh, reducing the um, amount of antibiotics you prescribe. And so, to tie this back to your question earlier about how this like relates to the academic work, I wasn't at, uh, in beta when this project started, but there were other social psychologists there, and so they were thinking about the things we know about how people's uh, behaviour is influenced what, by what others are doing. Um, so what they suggested was that, you know, there was one version of the letter that was just a standard information letter and then there was another one that said, that also gave the doctors information about how much antibiotics they prescribed relative to other doctors. Uh, so, and they only gave that information to doctors who were, um, were in the highest, like beyond the 70th percentile um, of prescribers. So, h- really high prescribers were told, like, you prescribed this much antibiotics, wh- whereas the average is, like, this much, and the difference was sometimes quite large. It's like, um, this is the
0: problem, and you're the problem.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, in In... Nice, nice uh, you know, yeah. just sort of descriptively, right? Like not, not making that judgment, yeah, yeah, of course, but that leaving was. it to the doctor to, to make that judgment. I mean, there are many no.
0: reasons why you might prescribe more than others.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and in some in – some, um, mm-hmm. this study was recently replicated in New Zealand and they actually looked more uh, carefully at the different segments of the population that are generally prescribed more antibiotics or less antibiotics and so, yeah, found like, oh, yeah, there are some groups – for whom this matters more than others, and so on. Anyway, yeah. So there were also a few other versions of the letter, but the short story is that um, the letters went out before the cold and flu uh, season, which is when you see this big peak uh, usually in antibiotic prescription, and that peak was just like chopped off uh, by oh, really? uh, for the for the group that that um, yeah, it worked really well. Um, and even we recently published an update to this report uh, like a 12 months later the report didn't get that much attention cuz covid <laughs> but uh, but it does seem to have persisted a little bit um, the, oh, the effect so you, of getting you might have to remind them yeah might have to remind them yeah but um, yeah so that was that was a, a trial that was you know registered ahead of time what the plan was for the for the data analysis um, what the main outcome measure was going to be, which in this case was the number of scripts per thousand visits, um, how it was going to be analysed, and then yeah, the report is um, available on uh, on the website.
0: Is th- this is one thing I wanted to answer? Do you uh, to answer to ask? So the, the the publications you do, it's it's it doesn't have to be like a paper or something. It's it's um you know you don't have to, do you have to go through the whole peer review process or how does that whole thing work? For <laughs> no,
1: so I've discovered something much more rigorous than the peer review process. It's called the clearance process, um, okay. which which just means like um I guess you know academia you think of it as fairly hierarchical in some ways like there's a very clear like undergrad grad students, postdocs. Uh, associate professor, you know, like there's, there's, there's clearly levels. But in terms of just the interactions that you have um, and who makes what kind of decisions, it's a lot flatter. But in government, one big difference is just that the, the hierarchies um, really matter for like we write a report, then it goes to the next person in the hierarchy and they have to read it uh, and say like, oh, yeah, this is okay, but take this bit out. And then you do that. And then it goes to the next person and they say, okay, this is fine, but I don't like your phrasing here like change that and so and that's and that i guess i should also point out that a good thing is that that process doesn't happen only at the end like after you've done all the work it also happens right at the start so you say like oh maybe maybe we want to do this and they think like oh okay yeah is that a good idea is it going to benefit the australian public is it value for money um does it have any like risks associated with it okay like if we've balanced up all of those things yet okay go ahead And then as you're making decisions along the way about the sample of participants or the analysis strategy or the outcome measures, we often have to um, partner with different agencies. So that's one thing that I can also uh, talk about at length, how beta works as like, (laughs) just fair warning, um, how beta is in a um, central agency. So we're in the department of the prime minister and cabinet, which doesn't which is a is central agency which means it doesn't have direct responsibility over a specific area like, for example, health or transport or education. It sits at the centre and so if we want to do something with health, we need to talk to the Department of Health. If we want to do something with taxation, we have to talk to the Australian Taxation Office. If we want to do something with um, education, talk to the Department of Education. And. Um, most of the time, it doesn't actually happen in that direction. It's the, depart- the other departments coming to us and saying, oh, we have this behavioral problem. Do um, you think you can help? So yeah, Sorry, I lost track of what your question was. But <laughs>
0: uh, Yeah, me too. I never know. <laughs> uh.
1: <laughs> oh, I was going to say um, the publication was what you asked about. Um, so, I asked when I started, like, oh, will I be able to publish in academic journals while, uh, while working at Beta? And the people I spoke to said like, "Oh yeah, in theory you can um, you know again you have to like get it cleared by a bunch of people but um it's not it's not a problem sort of at a theoretical level, but what I've discovered is that once we have the report um, on our website that is like the beta report in it's much more readable than an academic article um it's immediately uh, public um, and I just haven't really felt like any great need to then restructure everything, like so that another like five people can can read it, you know, when it's published in Journal of blah. Um, So it doesn't. It yeah. Even though I thought that I would want to continue to do that, um, it just doesn't seem like necessary. I guess.
0: Hmm. Okay. Is um, um. Is I mean, is this move from having a, a postdoc position i think you had before right mm-hmm. um from that to working um in your current position is that for you a kind of permanent move or because i, I my question right now is like okay so if you wanted to return let's say in, at some time would that be a problem that you hadn't published anything you know yeah in quotation marks you hadn't published <laughs> anything
1: um, so, I asked the same question from when I was considering whether to take this this position. I asked my old um, supervisor that question, like, oh, but what if I don't like it? Like, what's going to happen for my prospects of getting back into academia? Um, at the time, my prospects for staying in academia weren't that great. <laughs> so, <laughs> just because there were no jobs. Um, so, so, like, I don't know if... if it doesn't really make sense to then start thinking about going back to academia. But yeah, I raised the same question and what he pointed out was that um, your uh, output, for want of a better word, um, is evaluated relative to opportunity when you go for lectureship positions, um, at least in, at least in Australia. Is Um, that true? uh, I mean, yeah, maybe it's like a theoretically true thing, but, but, so, he, he followed up to say that um, he thought that I could make an argument that it's not like, say I stayed in this job for like three years and then decided I wanted to try and get back into academia. I could make the argument that I hadn't just been sitting there for three years. You know, I'd been publishing yeah, non-academic yeah. <laughs> articles. I could point to all the other things that, that would stand in place of publications and my old publications wouldn't expire. So, you know, you would say, like, oh, I have these, pub- these solid publications. Then I went and got a government job and had, like, a direct impact on the well-being of the Australian public. And <laughs> now I would like to, uh, uh, like, be a lecturer again and just talk to undergrads. Um, yeah.
0: That's a great way of phrasing it. I didn't publish, <laughs> but actually helped the world.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: yeah But are these reports also then linked to your name and that kind of thing? Or is it just the, the beta team?
1: Uh, they have my name, uh, uh, w- so I haven't been at beta long enough to see a report actually published. Yep. Um, <laughs> again, clearance processes and so on. But yeah. but yeah, it says in the front matter, it says like the beta um, team members who contributed to this report were, and then it just has our list of names, yeah.
0: Okay, so there is still this clear, like I worked on this thing, and yeah, yeah, you know, my my name's on it. It's not my, just yeah, this and, you and know, because might... otherwise it's like this team published something,
1: right? Exactly, and it's very
0: yeah. unclear what you're. Well, I guess that's what references are for, but yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and I think also, um, you know, you yeah, it, like you said, references and um, beta has uh, some psychologists, some economists, some sort of public policy people. Um, but the thing, one of the key things that the psychology um, uh, PhDs and masters uh, people contribute is actually uh, the ability to design experiments and analyse the data from them. So for the projects that I've been a part of so far, um, I've been the main data analysis person for all of them. I say that, and and then there's been a more senior data analysis person checking all my work. As <laughs> is good and proper. Um but but yeah, so so that's kind of like that doesn't come out in the reports, but it's something that that like my reference could say, I could say in a cover letter or whatever. Yeah. And then it would be very clear when you go to the results section, like, oh right, so this is exactly what this person um contributed to the report.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um I had one um when you said earlier that you have to um, get clearance from from above um the first thing i uh, i mean i'm sure this uh, i hope that well i think this was just uh uh the way you phrased it but there was one thing that immediately made me think of censure sense oh censure. oh yeah mm-hmm. how do you say that Censor?
1: Censure. Censure? Uh, censure
0: censure censure yeah <laughs> yeah. Uh, censure because, mm-hmm. yeah censure because yes censure. um because you said you know like we take this part out or something. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm just I, I was just curious like do they then sometimes tell you like don't write it's I mean i you don't didn't mean like results or something. So like no, oh,
1: this no, help, yeah, you know. it's more. Um... <laughs> So, my experience is a little bit uh, limited here. I've been at beta for 10 months, so I haven't quite figured out like exactly what kinds of things are considered sort of s- sensitive um, is the phrase that often gets used. But um, often it'll have to do, so in the experience I do have, it seems to have a little bit to do with kind of consistency across different um, uh, agencies and different publications on the same topic. Um, so, for example, um, I don't know if this is the case. So, um, just because I wasn't on the project about antimicrobial resistance, but say I'm imagining that, like, the Department of Health would have had some sort of campaign more generally about, like, antimicrobial resistance and how to use antibiotics and so on. And so then, making sure that Beta's publication, like, doesn't say anything that seems like it's going to contradict. Um, what health are saying in, in in terms of like just yeah it's not censorship so much as just making sure messages are clear and people are sort of um, yeah it's it's a bit hard to hard to get at uh, I wish like I had
0: avoiding it. certain things that might just seem confusing even though they aren't
1: yeah 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 because often it's not it's often it's not like take this out it's like oh this is really unclear explain what you mean or take it out like, I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So, yeah. But let me think if there's a. I'll. I'll. If something comes up, I'll. I'll come yeah. back to it. Yeah.
0: But also, and this then relates to me to the whole thing you mentioned earlier that one of your, um, one of the good things about you and your application was that you had experience with open science and pre-registration of these things. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming you have to, you know, those things then have to be in the report that you pre-register, or how?
1: Yes yeah so we pre register um uh, so so we we publish the pre registration plans as well, mm-hmm. so everything that we say we're gonna do is is right there. you can go and look at what we said we were gonna do, and then you can look at the report and see like well, did you actually do that um is that done
0: re- via like the standard o s f format or the no or just, just the on the beta website,
1: thing? yeah, just okay. on our website, yeah, um and uh and then in the in the report, we will also say, have like very clearly, like this is the, um, as pre registered or, you know, for our primary outcome measure, we found blah, blah, blah. And then it'll have a section that says additional analyses or secondary analyses or, and then we, um, just make it really clear that, that I guess because one, one difference, uh, between, um, uh, between academic reports and the reports that we write, is that it's often quite clear that someone is going to read the report and try to do something on the basis of our conclusions. And, and like, it is actually going to inform some decision. <laughs> Even if it's not directly doing something, it's, it's like, a few steps down the line and someone is going to make some change, right? So, that's funny another thing. funny how
0: that's a weird concept, almost.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> like, it's I thought great. like, oh, that's...
0: That's so different. <laughs>
1: right. But, but it's doing, when yeah. you, when I feel like it's a really good thing to have to be like, well, we can't just be doing these studies like because we kind of want to know. Like, we're spending taxpayers' money. It has to be something that we can justify in terms of like, why do we want to know this? What impact is it going to have? Um, why is it important to people?
0: I'm also and spending taxpayers' money, but I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> about this question. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, when I was when I was a PhD student, I was also funded by the taxpayer, but the pay was a lot less. So I guess uh, it was it was more okay that I just did something I was really interested in and yeah. not very practical at all. Anyway, um, but I was just going to say that um, it means that. So the the reports I've worked on, the biggest. Um, the, the most kind of editing that's been happening has been in the results sections where we just wanted to be really clear about what we feel like confident in. Um, again, like, and that's because the effect sizes are big or because the analyses were sound, the analyses were pre registered, like, there wasn't anything weird. You know, it's the, those are the things we're confident in. And then things where we're like, well, it looks like there's a difference here and here, but we're not really sure. Like, just being really clear about the conclusions that we think can be drawn from those sort of in-between things um i think is important because as soon as you like put it in a report and say oh yeah this is what what we found then someone is gonna run with it um so just
0: yeah, right yeah yeah i guess there's more of a how should we say responsibility to make sure that you're also just i mean i think In general, academic research is also going much more that way to, Mm. you know, report effect sizes and all that kind of stuff. Um, But somehow it's not quite as important as if you know, yeah, that someone's going to just read your thing with the implicit, uh, not implicit, with the explicit purpose of then using it to actually Mm. inform Mm -hmm. policy or something then. I feel like there's also probably you don't want to like bog them down in like hundred details that don't really matter. <laughs> that don't that matter.
1: Much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that
0: are interesting for like basic research, but not for actually, I don't know, writing that letter for, to doctors. or course,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I should also say that it does happen that our reports just kind of get ignored. Um, <laughs> whether that's whether that's because um, the uh, like we just didn't find anything. Like you know, we're comparing two different presentation formats or something and it's like, oh, well, this doesn't really matter. They're both equivalently good. Like then obviously there's not that much interest in trying to build on it. But also if the priorities um, move on or the budget's cut or, you know, hypothetically, um, yeah, yeah. those kind of things mean that that uh, even if a, a particular study seemed to show something promising, it's not always carried forward.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. By the way, I think we heard your dog there for a second in the background a few seconds ago. I said I said something always happens in these podcasts. I think I'll have to (laughs) leave that in though because you were talking at the same time, so I can't take
1: that out. Hopefully it wasn't too uh, uh, too loud.
0: No. I I don't know. It's always nice to have a dog in the background. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, the uh, another thing I was wondering is so are you then? Uh, do you only do research about certain topics or is it more that uh, your kind of your team, or the the meta team is like a general research purpose team where just people say like, hey, we want to know something about this and then you just go off and do that? Or is it, yeah, I was, I'm just curious like how sp- specific or limited the research you do is or whether that's more, yeah, whatever has to be done.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um... In theory, we could do we could work on anything across government, but yeah, in practice, it's sort of a balancing act um, with people coming to us saying like, oh, we have this problem, can you help us solve it? Or, oh, we have this question about that, can you help us answer it? And then um, th- this is something that my managers do a lot more than uh, I do because they're kind of in charge of like managing beta's workload and projects as a whole, they have to figure out, like, is this a pro- problem that we actually – that is, like, a behavioural issue, so, therefore, something that falls within our um, scope? Is it um, – if it is, then, then okay, good, but do we have capacity to deal with this right now? Um, is it on a topic that we sort of already have some expertise in? Um, I'm just trying to think of, like, the other considerations. Uh, oh, yeah, what are the timelines like? Like sometimes an agency might come to us with a project and say like, oh, we really want um, you to help us design this website. And then we're like, okay, that sounds interesting. And then they say like, oh, yeah, but we have to finish it next month. It's like, well, then <laughs> there's a limit to how how much we can actually contribute. Um, you know, that, that was just a random example. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's kind of a balancing act. But we've worked on um, – uh, trying to um, we worked on retirement savings. We've worked on projects in health like I mentioned. Uh, we worked on projects on add-on insurance. We've worked on a project on helping students um, like not drop out of university. We've worked on cybersecurity, uh, reminders for credit card, uh, like to make your credit card payments on time. Yeah and and a lot of them are are you know randomized control trials in the field um, but sometimes we will also write advisory reports where we just go in and kind of analyze a problem and suggest recommendations for addressing it but we don't actually test those recommendations and those reports are also available on the website
0: Okay and um, so what kind of facility so do you do an empirical study to see how people react to whatever do, is is it like can it, can it be anything that you might do in an in academic research context? Or is it uh, somehow I'm imagining you have more ability to contact citizens or something? To oh, do, yeah. Like to get like specific representative samples or something like that? But
1: Yes, no, definitely. Um, so our like gold standard is running a trial in the field. So that, that trial with the doctors, the letters went to the doctors uh, like the the actual real. <laughs> I yeah, think yeah. it was a sample of like 3,000 or something. Um, we
0: didn't let undergraduates imagine they were doctors. Imagine that they were doctors, <laughs> <Yeah>. no.
1: Um, <laughs> but um, and I'm just trying to think of... Oh, yeah, and the project with students. Again, that was a randomized control trial in the field where we got at partnered with two universities um, and recruited students at those universities. But we have also done some more like framed field... Uh, experiments so that when where you try to get the the a sample of people who would be sort of engaging in the kind of decision that you're uh interested in so an example is a project that uh, about retirement planning so there they got um people who i think were recently retired and so they spend a bit of time like um trying to like making sure that they could recruit those people and then they took them through a process that was hypothetical like they didn't in that case they weren't actually choosing their um, their a new retirement plan it was just kind of taking them through I think it was a website um, informing them about different uh, retirement plans and you could make like a Okay, so now that you've been through this, you know, was it helpful? Do you think you would switch retirement plan, savings plan, whatever it might be? So, yeah, we do a little bit of that um, kind of more hypothetical work as well.
0: Hmm. It sounds like these, um, especially when I consider, when I compare it to the study that you, uh, that we're going to maybe talk about in a, in a few minutes, um, mm-hmm. uh, which is an, Online study, right? If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. yep, yep. Right. yeah, uh, It sounds like these are just involve a huge amount of effort in terms of like getting the data, <laughs> like because <laughs> yeah. it's in the field and that kind of stuff, like contacting all the doctors and yeah, I'm, yeah. Well, I guess you have to measure their antibiotic output if that's the word. The prescription,
1: yeah. So, 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 yeah. A lot of the challenge um, comes from not just like finding, figuring out the sample and how to contact them, but also like where do we have access to that data. So uh, the data on on doctors' prescriptions rate ex- prescription rates is collected in Australia, but of course it's uh, like, like you it's know automatically. It, or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I can't remember like what the organisation is that collects it, but it's collected. Um, and but of course, there is like huge um, privacy and kind of confidentiality issues around that. So like it's a pretty long process of negotiating to. to um, convince the agency that, you know, we're going to be treating that data um, as it should be treated securely. <laughs> um, yeah. And that it's not going to compromise individual doctors um, or put them, you know, at any dis- particular disadvantage, things like that. All our projects still go through an ethics mm. review board. Um, and they're also reviewed by the, uh, like, particular um, teams that just deal with privacy in our department. Um so there's a lot of things like that 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 um, you go. So yeah, on the one hand, like because it's the government, it has access to uh, amazing stores of data. On the other hand, getting access to those amazing stores of data is appropriately difficult. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I'm also assuming you're you're not doing the actual data collection and sending email uh, letters things. You're you said more the analysis parts. Yeah. Good part, question.
1: Um, yeah. So for that one. No, so one project that I'm on at the moment. I guess um, that wasn't your, yeah, you said. Yeah, that, that one was wasn't mine, but so, so just as an example, a project that I'm working on at the moment, and I won't tell you the details, but there the agency is doing all the data collection. We've specified what kind of, um, like what variables we want to collect. And then once we reach the target sample size, which is in this case is taking a few months, um, they will do the initial data cleaning, make sure that no individuals can be identified, and then send it to us, um, and we'll do the the data analysis. Hmm. Yeah. So. It's,
0: uh, from the way you've been describing it, it sounds like it's kind of like academia, but without a lot of the annoying parts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but 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 with a different. So probably with different, other different annoying, annoying yeah. parts. Yeah yeah.
0: Yeah, I um, guess peer review can be annoying, but. Clearance doesn't sound like it's the easiest process either
1: no yeah I mean I really appreciate it so maybe this will be a nice pivot to to the registered report that I wrote in academia right I really appreciated having um, in that case the peer review before we'd actually run the study because of course the 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 you can take on board like feedback in a completely different way when you haven't just like you know, like, oh, you should do this thing differently in your experimental manipulation. It's like, oh, well, thanks. I already had three thousand people complete this <laughs> study. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's much more useful earlier on. And and one of the really great things about um, working the way the way that Beta works, and this is probably true for some academic labs as well, is just that it's so intensely collaborative, and you're always having to because we work in partnership with other agencies you have to talk to people who are not like so used to thinking about experiments and research and so you have to justify like every decision and rethink it and explain it and like you know there'll be some sort of practical reason why you can't do it in the like theoretically best way or whatever and so you work out solutions to that and you get everyone on board with the outcome measures and talk about like oh okay well if we're measuring like money spent on x like then we tr- we're treating that as a good thing or a bad thing if it goes up or down like just kind of making those decisions about what it all means um where you can get the data how you're going to get the data um like what you're going to do with it all those things like you, there's a lot of work that goes into it before the trial is actually in the field which I think is really helpful
0: hmm. yeah so, so since you already Made the bridge to your preprint, uh, <laughs> yeah. preprint sorry, your your paper. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think I'll I'll take that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, uh, maybe we can. It's funny. We're just doing the conversation exactly the, the other way around than I planned it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry um, about that. <laughs> so I, I think no, no. I mean, like in terms of me also starting with the government stuff. I thought oh, we would yeah. talk like about morality in war, then mm-hmm. get to your paper, then talk about pre- uh, register report because I have a few questions about that, and yeah. then talk about government stuff, but. Now we're just going to completely flip opposite. that around. Yeah. Um, so then I'm also just, in general, I haven't, um, I think you're the first person I'm talking to who I know has done a registered report. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like something, you know, you hear about a lot and that I've, I've talk, I talk to my supervisor a lot because we kind of, occasionally about it because we kind of like the idea and want to do it. But mm. it's just the question like when it applies, when it makes sense to do it. So I'm... For a few minutes, I'd just like to get your like practical experience from writing one. Mm. Um, And actually, I have been uh, involved in the peer review process of a regular report.
1: Oh, great! Yeah,
0: and I haven't.
1: So (laughs) okay, yeah, that was kind of
0: quite cool. Um, Although it's also a lot more work than Mm. (laughs) a regular (laughs) report. I I can imagine. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, um, how? Maybe, how did you decide that this should be a registered report, or how did that decision come about?
1: Um, so, this. Paper, or maybe, sorry,
0: just very briefly, what is a registered yeah. report?
1: Oh, yeah, okay. So, a registered report is when you submit a paper to a journal with the introduction written. Um, so, the literature review, you've developed your hypothesis on the basis of theory, and you've decided kind of on your method. Um, and then you submit it to the journal before you collect the data and analyze and write up the results and conclusions. Um, And the journal um, sends the paper out to review, you know, without that whole second half. And then um, if they decide to accept it, they commit to publishing it regardless of what the results actually come out um, as. And so it helps uh, reduce publication bias, because often um, null results, for example, just or unexpected sort of weird findings just don't make it into journals, but they definitely happen <laughs> and end up in yeah. people's file drawers. So without registered reports, you can end up with a, with a really skewed, uh, sort of a biased representation of, of the studies that are run because you only end up with the sort of very neat, positive, positive in the research, in the statistical sense, findings. Um, in the literature, yep. So that was, that an okay summary? Anything you'd like to add?
0: <laughs> um, yeah, not m- not much. I mean, like one thing I think is kind of interesting is that I think this is probably the model that most non-scientists kind of assume almost.
1: Yeah, yeah. Si-
0: how science works uh, <laughs> in the sense that you get critical feedback before you do it rather than just complain afterwards what you didn't do. <laughs> which, yeah, um, it's Which true. is a standard model. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, so I think, yeah, that's, I think that's a good explanation. Mm. Uh, so how did you then, yeah, why why was this? I mean, like one, also what I'm trying to get at is um, not only like why did you decide to do it, but what kind of projects are most suitable and when should you do a but when shouldn't you?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think just to answer that last part first, I think one thing that made it sort of more straightforward in this case to do a registered report was that we were directly replicating a previous study and then building on it. Um, and so I think that helped because. Um, hmm, why do I think that helped? don't actually know I, it's just like an intuition um, <laughs> i'll i'll tell you how it came about and then i can just rethink like what it is about it so, so I, um, had a blog, uh, it still exists, <laughs> but I, I what read this,
0: do you want to tell people about it? Or? Uh,
1: it's, I haven't, I haven't updated it since 2018, I think, but yeah, it's, it's my scholarly goop. It might be interesting to follow this story on, on the blog. It's called my scholarly goop, uh, dot wordpress.com, which is a anagram of moral psychology. Um, but it, uh. Written... So
0: just let me just quickly my oh yeah just, yeah my scholarly goop g o o p yeah and then sorry what my scholarly goop dot wordpress dot com uh... because it? I'm also uh, I think so yeah yeah, yeah. The, the, the description in. Uh, that's also the first thing that it says if i just googled it's quite it up, updated it. yeah <laughs> it says this web page hasn't been updated since february 2018 <laughs> yeah <that's laughs> below right. is old news okay cool no I just yeah. I, I i'll put this stuff in the description also oh it's, yeah yeah no just worries. good that i've found it yeah okay
1: yeah so um i read this paper by jonathan phillips and fari cushman that was looking at the way that um when you're presented with someone doing something immoral one of the reactions that you might have is like oh you can't do that like as if it's somehow impossible just because it's immoral and i wrote about just sort of briefly summarized the paper on my blog said oh this sounds really cool um just uh, i wonder how it holds up in a war context because in in war like things that you can't do that in a peace context you kind of can uh, a lot of the time in, in war, if you're a soldier and, you know, appropriately authorized yep. and so on. Um, so that was just a, like a question at the, at the end of the post, like, oh, can we replicate this and see also it does it work in a war context? And I think Mark Brandt um, just responded on Twitter, actually. Said, oh yeah, I'd be I'd be up for that. Like, let's do it. Um, oh, he's because the co-author. He's my co-author. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess the other the other thing that I'd mentioned in the blog post uh, is that um, the original authors had made all their materials and code um, and data files and everything available um, on GitHub. So it looked really easy, right? To just like take their materials and Code and just yeah. re- redo it all. So, so Mark said he was on board. So then I was like, okay, cool. I'll try and do this. And then, and I started working on on the project. And then wrote another blog post about the way that I felt like that I had heard about registered reports. At that point, I'd never done one before. I thought it was a cool idea in theory, but I felt just kind of like like apprehensive about it, about actually doing one. And part of that apprehension was sort of about, like, um, the way it's really ex- exciting to um, get the results of a study and, like, run the analyses and see, like, oh, does, like, is it going to come out? And part of the excitement has to do with, like, you know that if it comes out how you expect it and if the results are neat, you, like, get a publication out of it. Um, <laughs> Potentially, whereas like the disappointment is, oh no, this like I'm gonna have to go back to the drawing board. And obviously that that sort of motivation and that the, the fact that like getting results is so closely tied to publications that, that you have that sort of excitement. it doesn't actually seem like a good thing for science. <laughs> so so um, I was just kind of reflecting on that and thinking I should probably try and overcome it. And then in emails or something with Mark, I can't remember exactly how it came about, we said like, oh, maybe we should do this one as a registered uh, report. Mm-hmm. And it was, again, fairly straightforward. I guess like, so this comes back to what you said about what makes a good registered report. I think it was at least like a good one for me to start with because I didn't have to do so much work to kind of justify all the methodological choices. Um, because uh, that was already justified by the fact that we were fairly directly replicating a previous study. Um, And, of course, with the results and everything not being there, it's the methodological choices that get a lot of focus in the review process. Um, As it turned out, the reviews we got – I don't remember them. In, there was just one round of reviews. We got desk rejected at uh, Nature Human Behavior and then got a round of review at um, Journal of Experimental Social Psychology. And the only thing that that I remember from the review process is that they really made us think about uh, what it would mean to get a null result. Like how w- were we actually going to interpret um, these findings. And that was also really helpful because, again, like sort of having to think all of that through in advance, in this case, it didn't make us change uh, much, but it's sort of, um, we, we th- really thought through like there are potential three-way interactions here, there's two-way interactions, like what what do we really think is going to happen and why is each of those findings important for the research question and the theory that we're sort of addressing Um, One of the reviewers was fairly sceptical that uh, a null null result would be interesting at all um, and and said actually that they thought that a registered report only made sense if like a null result and finding um, like a significant result would be worthwhile. Um, But I guess we got around that. (laughs) <laughs> I think we just we just argued, I think, that in what, this case... you just case,
0: said no? <laughs> yeah, no, I can't remember how we
1: responded. <laughs> yeah, I think we tried to argue that, yeah, we did, I mean, interest, people vary in what they're interested in, right? But in this case, the null would have had to do with um, differences between war and peace. And I think if a r- result of a finding on, like, moral judgment is, oh, there's no difference between war and peace, like, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> um because it's not what I would intuitively expect. Um,
0: I'm, I'm wondering, would it? Uh, this is actually, uh, I'm just thinking about that point now, whether no result would have been interesting. I mean, yeah. because often, you know, no result can also just mean somehow your manipulation didn't work or whatever. I mean, in this case, your manipulation is, you just say, in war context, basically, or <laughs> <laughs> in, not in mm. war. Um, so it seems like, you know, it's easy to understand for the people, but, you know, just reading the words and actually fully and un- you know Hopefully, like yeah one thing i want to talk about later is a bit more is the thing about how um to what extent it makes sense to ask lay people about these things mm-hmm. especially people who never really think about it um or at least i don't <laughs> yeah, yeah um so like in that sense from that perspective i do wonder like whether it could have just meant that people don't really think about these things or something like mm-hmm. that right they just don't yeah, have no. an opinion
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I guess from a statistical perspective, what we did was um, include an equivalence test. So, like, could we even say that, you know, like trying to argue that a null result means no difference is a little bit sort of statistically tricky. Um, And as it turned out, the the main – we did get a null result for one of the key tests, but we also didn't find that – the effect like with the equivalence test that they were statistically equivalent. So basically we're just like in this no man's land of there might be an effect there that we just didn't detect. We can't with confidence yeah. say that these two things are the same. Um,
0: uh, just I can't remember the details. What was your so I have equivalence testing is another thing that <laughs> that I've been wanting to do but never haven't gotten a, mm, I mean mm. I mean there's well, technically now in the third year from PhD. But <laughs> yeah. um, so I guess it's not like I've been thinking about it for ten years, but um the one thing that I always found with equivalence testing is like, you know, you need your smallest effect size of interest, mm-hmm. which to me seems often very arbitrary. I can't remember what was yours in the paper.
1: Uh we took the um effect size from the original paper.
0: As the smallest okay. Yeah. Did they? I can't remember, did they have a large effect size or
1: uh it's so it was it's a little bit hard to say like because it was um, error rates in response to at ma- sort of a time manipulation like how many more errors do people make when they have to make a decision quickly it's a little bit hard for me to say whether it was a big or large effect like because I don't I don't really have a good sense of like what what's a baseline in that sense like obviously going from zero errors to no, sorry, from 100 errors to zero errors would be a big effect. But I don't, yeah. Um, okay. So, sorry. That's <laughs> not, that's not, yeah. yeah. That's not, but okay, a, yeah. so
0: you just, you took the original paper and then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it still has this, yeah, sense of. <laughs> yeah, definitely. difficult to say what, what the smallest effects. What it would, means, would yeah.
1: Um, And again, like, that was something. Oh, sorry, the, just to get to
0: the point, because oh, if yeah. you'd chosen a larger, smallest effect size, then it would have been would <laughs> right, be different, right. right? So then, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but then I guess what you can say is like any difference between them is smaller than this effect and someone will come up yep. al- because you picked a bigger one, right? And so someone will come along and say, yeah, but you picked a really big effect and I'm actually interested in like even if a difference is smaller than that. So, yeah, it's it's a yeah just an interesting um, – I think we it would have been hard to pick an effect size uh, if we didn't have that sort of like – Arbitrary, as you point out, but kind of obvious baseline Mm -hmm. to go with.
0: Okay. Actually, uh, I'm just curious now about the review process from the author's perspective and the Mm -hmm. other side. But actually, first, uh, just quickly, what was the reason that nature behavior rejected it? Did they give a specific reason or did they just say no thanks? I
1: think they just said no thanks. (laughs) Maybe it was like (laughs) too niche.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Just, okay. They said thank you for your email.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that that should be it for now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Good luck
0: with another channel. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. But uh, okay. So from actually, you have so one thing I found kind of neat is that you have the on what well, page two is the big figure of your you testing a central assumption. Um, oh yeah. And uh, well, the figure really is the important part. You tested an, a central assumption. Um, I was curious. Did, was that before you did? Before you handed in the register report, or was that part of the register report? Or
1: uh, that was part of the uh, original submission? Yeah. So okay. the stage one submission. Okay. Um, yeah, I can't remember why we did that. I think we just, as we were like in developing the materials and stuff, we were like, oh, everything hinges on. This assumption We better just test it, um, so yeah, it was part of the original.
0: Okay, because I was curious because, uh, like, the reason I asked that question is because it seems to me that if that assumption would have fallen flat, then you wouldn't have needed to do the rest. So, what did you then specify that in the register report saying, like, okay, the assumption just doesn't hold, so we won't do the rest, or did you? and the reports, say we're going to do it anyway or
1: oh sorry no so so that that data we did collect before we submitted ah, the, okay, right, okay. yeah sorry That's, yeah so Oh can, sorry it
0: was okay yeah,
1: yeah so it was part of, like the whole yeah the, the that whole the, bit the okay the collected the results data as well was part mm-hmm. of the of collected data ah, yeah I see. sorry yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. So that's that's something that you can do, right? Like if you have a couple of ideas that, that sort of you just want to explore and you've already collected the data and analysed it and then you think that there's a there's something there that you really want to like commit to. Um, that, that's one way to I think also like dip your toe into registered reports is to actually s- submit um, a stage one manuscript that already has like the sort of traditional methods and results for like maybe one or two uh, initial studies but then you're... Registering the, the final study in a kind of package that's more confirmatory. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that is specifically one example I'm thinking of because we have like something where it, in a way, it's kind of like expanding results we already have mm. or, um, yeah, generalizing them a bit. But then I, I always wonder what I find really tricky is this whole thing of. Let's say you then have another idea that would fit really well into it. Can mm. you then like add that as another register report? Or it's also for me the question like a register report, does it does it make sense to call it a register report if like one out of five experiments is a register right, report? Right. You know, yeah, that's kind of a good questions.
1: question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I wouldn't yeah, I agree. That sort of starts to seem a little bit strange, but um I guess as long as it's clear in you know, people skim the abstracts. It's clear in the abstract that only the last study was you know, submitted for review before the data was collected or something. Um, that doesn't seem like such a problem. What label you want to put on it, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it, it is more just how you call it.
1: but Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was thinking something about testing assumptions. Uh um, Oh, actually, uh, one of my other papers kind of ended up being almost like a registered report by accident. Um, Okay. So, in that um, it was a lot, the two of my studies for my PhD had to do with the principle of discrimination, so how people make um, judgments about when soldiers versus civilians are killed or do the killing in war. Um, And
0: Yeah, this is not the discrimination is is a very moral morality of war context specific yeah yeah
1: sorry yeah so principle of discrimination describes that that you're allowed to kill soldiers in war and you're not allowed to kill civilians um so i just wanted to say again like what do lay people think Uh, well we can hold on the question of whether that even makes sense as as a (laughs) thing to ask um but but um in my PhD, I done like I was just sort of learning, you know, like how to set up experiments, all these kind of things. And so there were a few things about these two studies that was just kind of weird. And uh, nonetheless, I packaged them up like after my PhD and submitted them to a journal with my supervisor Simon Lamb. And the reviews came back and they were like pointing out all these weirdnesses, like, oh, this is a bit odd, and like, why did you have response this kind of response scale here and things were out of order here and this would this have influenced your effects and they were fairly minor things but in the end i just like and i totally agreed like oh yeah that's not how i would do it now so what i did before uh resubmitting the paper was just like run the study again with all the with all those things fixed up but otherwise like very very similar and the same analysis and exactly the same results came out so it was like you know that was reassuring yep. <laughs> but but um, yeah, that was kind of a that was an opportunity to to in a way like I had committed to a particular method because I'd been through the whole review process you know if I'd made additional changes at that point, the reviewers would have been like, "Come on, like what are you?" <laughs> What are you doing? But instead, the changes were all like to just tidy everything up, like the reviewers had suggested, and like I agreed, and then to uh, replicate my own work, and it was published. So, mm-hmm. that's
0: good. yeah, that's another thing that to me that, that kind of format complicates the question of whether to register before because you can, of course, submit something and then they sometimes say, "Can you do this other small study?" Mm-hmm. So that was part of regular. Peer review, you can kind of also have a registered report in it yeah, anyway, yeah. often.
1: And then you just don't get the label, right? Like, Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. But I want the label. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. all yeah. I care about. <laughs> mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. Contribution to science. Bah. Yeah. Okay. So then, um, from what perspective does it make sense to then ask lay people these questions? I mean, there's a similar discussion I once had um, just privately with a guy who did experimental philosophy mm. where there's also the question like you know why does it make sense to ask people who don't usually think about this thing um, yeah so yeah. when when does that make sense and when doesn't it
1: I think in my case um, it didn't really make sense uh, <laughs> okay, and good. I made uh, it was mostly a pragmatic thing like I just uh, can't get access to soldiers. Um, And I kind of wish that I'd made some different decisions because of that. But uh, I think it can make sense because morality is so much about uh, regulating other people's behavior in a social setting. And um, third-party observers, like people who just, you know,
0: uh, sorry, just quickly, I think yeah. your microphone's super close to your mouth so I can hear oh. I don't know, is that movable? Is yeah, that maybe better? that's better. Yeah, yeah just uh, there was a lot of uh
1: just breathing. Air. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, now it's better. Okay,
1: yeah. yeah. So so um morality uh seems to function a lot to regulate people's behavior in a social setting. And in those cases it's not just about the like the perpetrator and the victim. It's also about these third party observers and the kind of sort of punishments and praise and help uh, that they um, provide. And so those are people who are not necessarily directly involved, but their judgments still matter because they form part of that whole sort of structure of moral judgments and norms that then influence us directly and indirectly through, like, our knowledge about those norms and so on. Um, When it comes to, like, people who don't think about it that often, uh, that's slightly different from the category of people who are just, you know, outside of a given conflict. Like, an external observer might spend a lot of time, like, thinking about something or they might not. Um, You know, like, I agree that – it doesn't really, in some ways, it doesn't really make sense. But when it comes to war, like, I also just have this <laughs> feeling like you should be thinking about it, actually. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sorry.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> so so I agree, like, people aren't really thinking about it that much. And, and that's part of, like, how we've set up society is so that there's this particular group of people who go and have it as their profession and the rest of us don't really have to think about it. Um, but... I think that's like a kind of um, unfortunate gap, I suppose, um, for lots of different reasons, um, including just uh, sort of the disconnect. Like, if you, it, it, I was in the U.S. at the time, and so there's this trope of like, "Thank you for your service," right? Like, and and uh, military personnel get to board planes first. And you go to a, a basketball game at, and at halftime, there's like a big, you know, like fanfare and, you know, thank you to the the military men and women who are here. Really, every but, game? Or? Uh, maybe not. I've only been or to a few
0: games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You didn't go to all the games.
1: All the games, no. Um, but there will be these like little moments, right, where where the mil- the military is kind of uh, highlighted. But it feels very um, superficial. Sorry about the dog again. Um <laughs> yeah. And, and like not a very strong engagement with what you're actually asking them to do on your yeah. behalf as a citizen. Um, so uh, there's this sort of um, gap between the military and civilians that, that obviously my research didn't actually help with. Uh, <laughs> maybe <laughs> if I'd continued in academia, I would have gotten there eventually. But, but um, yeah, so what we can – what we can learn from asking people to make these judgments when they're not used to thinking about it is their, uh, like, what they come up with in that sort of unreflective, like, oh shit, you're asking me to think about what? Uh, all right, like, and if you do start to see particular patterns or biases in those kind of unreflective judgments, I think you have learned something, provided that that um, you know, I guess it could just be noise, and so just nothing ever replicates because it's just going to be different. For all these random reasons, um, but if you do start to see patterns, I think uh, maybe you've learned something. Hopefully, <laughs> I mean, this is
0: also <laughs> psychological research, right? It's not, um, you know, it, it, you're trying to understand how people think about. It. It's not make an argument for or against. Yeah, no, kind of exactly. Moral principles. I mean, that's that's what we have. I don't know, lawyers for philosophers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but not 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 psychologists. <laughs>
1: No, um, and part of the reason why I started studying it was because I had been reading a lot of philosophy of war and uh, it touches, like, the the philosophy of war um, sort of talks a lot about the legal systems surrounding war and vice versa, but it doesn't really seem to talk that much or at all about the sort of intuitions that everyday people have about it. And sometimes some of the conclusions that they come to seem to be pretty like uh, disconnected from from how like the the sort of uninformed person might just think that it things should work um, so that's and that's that can be a problem like you don't always want uh, like um, I think there's a role for philosophy in pushing people towards like a different way of thinking like if you think of for example Peter singer and the way that he draw takes like utilitarianism to the logical extremes um, but but by like starting to think about suffering and animals and so on you know he's pulled a lot of people in the direction of caring about something they didn't previously care about um, even if they haven't gone all the way to the uh, extremes that he has so um, similarly like there might be a reason why that there's a gap between what moral philosophers say about war and what regular people sort of think and say about war and that it doesn't have to be that the philosophers should move to be more similar to the everyday person. It can also go the other way around. I'm not making any like particular arguments in that sense, but you've got to find out what the gap is first, right? Before you can start to think about, is it even a problem? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, for, for me, just personally reading, um, I think this was more about the morality of war review and research agenda. I've um, that paper there. What, what I kept thinking about was, so I'd never, you know, I, it's kind of funny that I've never really thought about war considering I grew up in the first, <laughs> yeah. in the, in the first German city that was freed by the Allies. Oh, and yeah. It's like where I grew up, like when there's like the, I don't know what they're called, there's like huge stones that tanks can't drive over. Oh, right. Um, that yeah. are like just, there's like light, like rows of that through the countryside. And so that they keep them there in Germany just so... To remind you, like you know, this used to be a thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's kind of like that. It's kind of weird that I grew up like that, and I've never really thought about war. But one thing that really struck me is like, like it's obvious that there are different legal or different legal. I don't know, was it systems or structures or rules for war and for peace context? And like when I just thought about it, I thought like, why would it even make sense to have different legal systems (laughs) for war Mm -hmm. and for peace? And I thought like, shouldn't killing someone well I guess we uh, yeah. I mean I know nothing about law either but um, you know when I was from what I understand when someone has killed someone you take into account the reasons and all these kind of things right mm-hmm. um, but it still seems kind of weird to me that you'd make this huge distinction between saying well the country's in war so therefore you can shoot people yeah um, yeah as a kind of categorical difference. But then, uh, for me, I mean, like, I also think about game theory and these things because of my own research. And like the what first, then I, I kind of thought about that if you okay, so let's say you have the same legal system across the board, mm-hmm. then that would probably just be, I um, should we say, that would not be uh, good for the only country that does it, right?
1: <laughs> because yeah. then
0: they just get killed <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah. it almost feels like this kind of thing where evolutionarily you can't really whoever it's a massive, adopts...
1: massive coordination problem
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and as if one person or one not person one country yeah you can't really go can you go as a single person to war um it's a good question but if a single country <laughs> were to adopt it then they just would stop to exist
1: mm-hmm. um, yeah
0: but do you is that like do you know why there are these two separate systems? Is that part of it, or is that a completely um, different like legal reason?
1: Good question. Uh, it hasn't always been separate. Um, you'd have to talk to like a historian of the legal structures of war or something to, to think about how it how it came about. Um, but just war theory. Does have its roots in sort of theorizing by um, Thomas and Thomas Aquinas and uh, Augustine, um, where they were kind of trying to reconcile um, like the Christian sort of prohibition on killing um, mm-hmm. with the fact that, <laughs> oh, the king it can yeah. just like send his men out to slaughter and pillage and take like do whatever he wants, basically. Um, And so I feel like possibly, and this is just, it's been a while since I've thought about this and it wasn't a huge part of my reading, but I feel like the seeds were probably sown at that point, right? And then, so they, they were saying, not, not like, yeah, this on the surface of it just seems kind of wrong. Like if we're saying it's wrong to kill another human, those people are being sent out to sort of kill others, like, uh, um, and then started to sort of think about, like, oh, well, what might be the reasons that we can give to say, like, oh, well, that's that's justified. Um, and then you get into religion and um, <laughs> nation states and all these other uh, things. Um, the – I guess I would say that one sort of interesting trend that I noticed um, just maybe in the last, like – Two or three years, I'm sure it's been going on for longer before it popped up on my radar. But is this move towards it it sort of seemed to be at uh, for a long time that um, the that you didn't really think about soldiers as individuals, that they were uh, a collective sort of extension of the state, um, but that it and uh, the, I mean that in in like the philosophy of war sense. but then over time, it sort of became more of like, no, we do have to think about the individual responsibilities and individual rights of soldiers. They, they are um, sort of agents, uh, even as they are, they, they are like, uh, you know, autonomous agents as well as being agents of the state. Um, and so, how do we reconcile these things? And yeah, I think that's a really interesting direction that things are going in. Um, but. Not working on it anymore. So I don't know what happened <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the years since I was yeah. there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I just find it so fascinating that there's these. I don't actually know what the decision is on these cases, but there's like some cases of, you know, soldiers being in a country and they don't know war stopped, mm. but they just keep killing people mm. <laughs> because they think they're still in a war, but they're actually not. And that's just really weird. I don't actually know what you do with these people because, like, technically they're committing a crime. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 yeah, it's a really weird situation. mm. Because you can always just claim it. You can just (laughs) stay there kill some people if you want to and say, oh, sorry, I thought 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 it was suitable.
1: Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely, it's fascinating. Um, And uh, actually, maybe this will be a nice... uh, a uh, sort of positive note to end on, or a question to end oh, on, nice. is uh, did you realise that uh, that um, nuclear weapons were banned uh, on Friday, yesterday?
0: What? No. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, uh, now if you use a nuclear, n- use, develop, store, whatever, uh, weapons, you're, uh, let me see, I'll, we can look it up.
0: I feel like that's something I should have heard of. Yeah, yeah. Although, to be fair, it's Saturday morning right now, so I don't know. Um, oh, yeah, maybe. yeah,
1: that's true. I'll send you that. I mean it's like it's the perennial question about what what does it matter what the UN says if it can't enforce anything? Um yeah, yeah. But in terms of setting international norms and that coordination problem that you mentioned, uh with game thre- theory, like what happens to the one country that that tries to um I think that it's important to uh yeah, like if you think of the ban on um cluster munitions and things, it's pushing people in the right direction. It
0: also says that, uh, the the, the major, subtitle major is also… <laughs> sorry, yeah, despite yeah. a lack of signatures. Maybe that's why I didn't hear about it because they're like, yeah, yeah. nah, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're not, not going to let Kim Jong <laughs> be the only one. <laughs> It'll
1: be the only one, yeah. yeah. So, maybe the no. rest of us are just freeloading. Who knows? Maybe.
0: Okay, cool.